I invite you to turn to the book of Genesis. That is such an easy book to find, isn't it? Amen. For preaching from the first book and the last eventually. Eventually we'll get to Revelation, but uh, not today. Amen? <laughs> yes. It ends well, right? We know how the story ends. We know how our lives end, for those of us who know Jesus Christ. And it ends well. But this morning we're in the book of Genesis. And we're going to be settling in this morning in the book of Genesis chapter 12. And we have been journeying for the past several weeks through this book. And we have been looking at, from the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, looking at the creation of all that we know to exist, the world and the universe and even beyond. And we have looked at that and we've journeyed from that time of that beginning and how just unbelievable God is and why He created us. Remember, the creation story, or for that matter, any creation story, Always the most important questions we ask in a creation story is who and why, not what and when. Who and why are more important questions to have answered in any creation story than a what and when. Okay, not to say that what and when aren't important, but they are not nearly as important as who and why. And that just helps us to not get up, caught up rather, into the minutiae, into all of the unnecessary quarreling that can happen from creation stories. Okay? To understand the who and why is much more important than the what and when. And so, who and why? Why, did, you know, who created us? And that is God. And why did He create us? Because He loves us. He loves us and wants to be glorified through us. What a powerful reason to create. It's unbelievable. And, but then, we know that there was now a new problem that came along. And that was this problem of sin that came along. And having to deal with this issue of sin that was introduced right almost from the beginning of creation, as soon as God placed Adam and Eve in the garden, that all of a sudden now there was this introduction of sin into this unbelievable perfect creation and perfect relationship between not only Adam and Eve, but between them and God Himself. And now a disruption of that relationship, not only between Adam and Eve, but now a disruption between them and God, has now led to a fallen, broken world. And then last week, if you remember, we took a look at this new promise that God destroyed the world. But out of that birthed a new promise, and that is grace will never be outpaced by sin ever again. Amen? That no matter how bad things may get, grace will win in the end. So the question, or rather the topic that we're going to take a look at today, beginning with Genesis 12, is how do we kind of embrace that promise? How are we able to now be able to live in that promise that grace wins, that grace will never be outpaced by sin? How can we live in that new promise? That's what we're going to look at today in a message I have entitled, A New Journey. I wish, oh, I wish that, that we could all just simply be in that new reality automatically, right? That all of us could embrace grace and the promise that it brings that we will never have to live with the results permanently of our sins, that we will never have to live in a world that has been permanently broken by sin, that we can grasp this promise of grace, and I wish we could just automatically do it. Right? Wouldn't that just be wonderful? Wouldn't that be wonderful that all of a sudden we're just born and you've got grace? Here's your gift, in addition to clothes. Um, here's grace, Right? Boom! But that's not how it works. It's just simply not that easy. 
It just isn't. For a variety of reasons. The reality is we still live in a fallen world. We still live in a world that has been broken and is continually being broken by sin. We still live among ourselves of brokenness. That we have brokenness inside of us and that leads to brokenness outside of us. That we still have this. And so it is not that easy to grasp the promise that God introduced after the flood. And so this morning, we're going to take a look at this journey that each and every one of us, I believe, are called to take. Now, whether or not each and every one of us will take it is an entirely different story, and for that, mas- and for that matter, a different message, okay? But today, I want us to take and understand what this journey involves and why it is necessary for us to be able to embrace this new promise of grace. Does that make sense? Now, I don't know about you, but there are some journeys that I like to take. There are some journeys that are enjoyable, right? And there are some that are not, or at least, you know, parts of it. I mean, I have had the privilege, if you want to call it that, of driving all around the country, right? And there are some really beautiful parts of the country, and there are not and there are other parts that are not so beautiful, right? There are other parts that on those journeys that everything has gone well. And there are other parts of the journey where it has not gone well, where things have happened. The cars have, you know, broken down and someone's gotten sick. Well, that someone was me. I remember one time we were traveling back east and uh, uh, my daughter had bronchitis. And I'll be honest with you, I used to get bronchitis every single year growing up. Every single year I got bronchitis. You could just mark it on the calendar in the wintertime in Wisconsin, get bronchitis. Um, however, when I moved and uh, was living uh, with my grandmother at that point, at the age of 15, all the way up, I never got bronchitis again. It's amazing, right? Well, anyways, my daughter gets bronchitis. We're about ready to set out on this trip to head out east to Oklahoma and then eventually to Wisconsin and that sort of thing. And lo and behold, I get bronchitis. Have to stop at an urgent care in Oklahoma. I blame my daughter. It's her fault. She gave it to me. She gave it to me. That was the time I was preaching. Some of you may remember this. And I, I had a high-pitched voice. And I said Jesus at one point, and it got high-pitched Jesus. <laughs> I mean, I got a little Pentecostal, and I wasn't even meaning to get Pentecostal. Sometimes journeys are fun. Sometimes there's a joy in the journey. Other times, it's just really hard. What we're going to look at today in this journey is both of those things. There is some excitement to it, and there is some hardship to it as well. But as we look at this passage this morning out of both chapter 12 and chapter 13, there are two things that I want us to see that encompasses this journey, that mark this journey, that I also think marks us as we go on this journey. Two things that as we go on this journey... um, Will things we need to deal with, things we need to recognize, things we need to make decisions about. And I think that is true not only for Abram, whom we're going to look at today, but it is also true for every single one of us who makes this journey or chooses to make this journey to embrace the promise of grace. So, without further ado, let's take a look at the first mark of this journey 
And what we, as people who may decide to go on this journey or have already decided to go on this journey, need to do. And the first one is this. We need to leave and cleave. We need to leave and cleave. Now, a lot has taken place from the time of the flood to now Genesis chapter 12. We had the Tower of Babel. We've had the spreading out of people around the earth. All this kind of stuff has happened. And then we come to chapter 12 of Genesis, and this is what says at the beginning of verse 1, God to Abraham. And it says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Here's a question that has been asked. Maybe you have asked it yourself as well. Why in the world did God choose Abram? Out of all the people he could have chosen, why did God choose Abram? Here's the answer. You ready for it? I don't know. I don't know. Abram, as we can tell early on here, doesn't seem to have any particular traits that stand out from anyone else. Abram, as we can't figure out, you know, from what we look at the scriptures here, didn't seem to even have a a solid concept of God. Maybe he did. We don't know. We don't know. Here's a, here's a truth that maybe some of us, maybe all of us need to live with here. There are sometimes things that God does that we will never know fully why he does it. Period. Period. There are things that God will do that we will want to have an answer to and we won't. We won't understand it. We won't comprehend it. Or even he will not share it. Here's one of those things. Why did he choose Abram? We don't know. But you know what? It's probably not all that important. If it was, he would have told us. This is something that we just simply don't need to know. And I'm okay with that. There are some things we should know and there are some things we don't need to know. This goes in the category of we don't need to know why God chose Abram. Just understand this. He chose him. He did. There are people that God chooses, that maybe we go, why? Or things that God does, and we go, why? And we're just not always told why that is or why he did what he did. We just, in those moments, have to rest in the fact that God knows a lot more than we do, that God is in control, that God has far beyond a better plan about what's going to happen here than we do, and we just need to rest confidently in him and what he has in store and be okay with not knowing right not always easy it's part of the journey cleave or leave and cleave now what is interesting here is that all of a sudden now verse 4 it says this so abram went forth as the lord had spoken to him and lot went with them Now, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Think about that. 
75 years old. Let me just say something about this real quick. I think sometimes we have this idea that at a certain point in age, you need to just, you know, there's nothing left. God is done with you, right? And sometimes we perpetuate that, in, certainly in society, but maybe sometimes even in churches. Uh, let me just say this. For those of you who might be of the seasoned category here, right? Seasoned category. I want to just tell you this. God is not done with you. God is not done working through you. God is not done, I am convinced, of calling you to do things, to make a difference, to serve Him, whether it's in the church or outside the church, whatever it is. You are not done. Period. And don't let anybody else tell you that you are. Okay? You are not done. There is no retirement when it comes to the kingdom of God. There just isn't. Just isn't. You are not done. The fact that Abram was 75 years old and was told, leave. By the way, when we talk about leaving here, and there are two things to leave and cleave. I'm going to talk about the leaving first. The Hebrew phrase here, go forth, which has now been used twice, once by God to say, Abram, go forth, and the second when he actually does, go forth. Both times, that phrase in Hebrew implies a walking away or in a human sense, to die, to perish. In other words, what God is asking Abram to do is to leave everything that he has known, the land that he was familiar with, the family that he was surrounded with, the belongings that in the house and all of the stuff that he had established, that God was asking Abram to leave that behind and to go and die to what, though? To himself. That everything that he had known, he was now going to have to leave behind. Everything that he was called and that he had established and he had worked towards these 75 years now, God had said, leave that behind. Imagine being 75 years old and told, yeah, go and die. Everything you had worked for, you're told, move away. Go somewhere else. Live somewhere different. Oh, and by the way, where you're going, um, I'll lead you, but you don't have Google Maps yet. You know, you can't look it up. I'm just going to lead you. Um, you know, go and die. How hard is that? How hard is it for us to go and to literally choose to die to ourselves, to leave everything that we had known, to leave everything that we had worked for, to leave not only just those material things, but even the concepts and thoughts and things that we had thought we knew now, we have to be willing to say might be changed, might be different, to rethink what it is about the world around us, and more importantly, about the God who created it. You see, this wasn't just simply a journey of just walking and leaving. This was actually a journey to say, Abram, go and die to yourself. Go and die to yourself. Now, we've heard this term, right? How many of you have heard leave and cleave? Leave and cleave. It's oftentimes used in a marriage metaphor, right? To describe how a man and a woman 
uh, will come together and how a man specifically will leave his family and will cleave to now his wife. And the two will what? Become one and whole. The only way that can happen is if both of them are willing to die to themselves to make that happen. To leave everything that they had known up to that point about singleness and whatever else might be involved in that and the patterns that they had established and all that kind of stuff, to leave that behind and to be joined as one with now another person. That isn't always easy, is it? Coming together in marriage when two people had two separate lives, doing two separate things, having two separate habits and two separate patterns, now come together isn't always an easy thing to do, is it? You've got one that might be an early bird and one who's a night owl, right? You might have one who is a neat freak and the other is dirty and messy. You might have one that loves action movies and the other likes romantic comedies. I'm not saying who is who in this. And now you've got to come together as one. You might like, you know, one person might like spicy food, and the other might like mild. Right? The other might like meat, and one is a vegetarian. Right? It's really, really hard. But the only way to move forward in that is if each one is willing to die to themselves. To die to themselves. I'm not talking about giving up diets necessarily and that sort of thing. It's, it's more than that. It's dying to themselves, willing to embrace the other by dying to yourself and doing so. I love how an author by the name of Phil Calloway describes this. And I think this is kind of a perfect picture of what dying to oneself looks like. It's particularly in a marriage relationship which mirrors this kind of thing that Abram was called by God to do. He says this, the first three years he's describing his own marriage, of our marriage were miserable. First three years of our marriage were miserable until I got a divorce. A divorce rather from loving myself and seeking my own way. I was reading the book of Galatians one night when I stumbled upon the verse, I no longer live but Christ lives in me. And the most profound thought hit me. If I am dead and Christ lives in me, can my wife see him there? Finding the right person I have since discovered is less important than being the right person. The happiest people I know discovered early on that the better comes after the worse. Amen? Because <laughs> why? Maybe perhaps some of the best Christian counseling Relational counseling. I'm not talking about grief counseling. I'm not talking about traumatic counseling. I'm not talking about that kind of counseling. There's all kinds of counseling. But perhaps the best relational Christian counseling that people can go to, if they're having struggles in their marriage or struggles in their friendships or relationships, is a Christian counselor who will help that person to die to themselves. Hard, isn't it? This is the kind of leaving that... Abram was called to do. This is the kind of leaving that we who may choose to take this journey are also called to do. To die to ourselves. This journey of following Jesus as Abram was following God requires that we die to ourselves. Jesus highlighted this when there were several people who wanted to follow him. 
Listen to what Matthew chapter 16 says when these individuals came to Jesus and asked if they could follow him. And more than that, what Jesus shared with his disciples about the cost of doing so. And he says this in Matthew 16, verses 24 through 25. And Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must what? Deny himself, die to himself, and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will what? Man, we have to, we have to die to ourselves. Think about that. Everything that Abram worked for, everything that Abram did, everything that he had, had thought that he had known now, he was asked to leave that all behind, to die to himself and start a new journey. I don't care what age that is. I think that's really, really hard, regardless of how old we are. It's really hard. A lot of people choose not to make that journey because it is just incredibly difficult. Jesus himself experienced this dynamic as well of those that offered to want to follow him, but realizing what it would take sometimes said, you know what? I don't think so. Listen to what says here in Luke chapter 9, verses 57 and following. This is what happened here. And they were going along the road. Someone said to him, that being Jesus, I will follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, if you follow me, we're camping. We won't always be staying at a hotel or a house. We may be sleeping outside. It's not going to be easy. And he said to another, follow me. And now Jesus has turned to them. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. And this is one of the most troubling aspects of this. But Jesus said to him, allow the, bed to, the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. And another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. And, but Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. This was all about the fact that if we choose to follow Jesus, now that doesn't mean we leave our family necessarily and that kind of thing, but it does mean we leave that which had defined us before all behind. Everything that had defined us before, we have to leave behind. Everything. Abram started this journey. He left. He left. Now, here's the other thing. It's one thing to die to oneself. However, if we have nothing to cling to, then we run the risk of just simply dying, period. And that's not what Abram is called to do. That is not what God has called Abram to do. And that brings up the second aspect of this. We leave however we cleave. We cleave, that is, we cling to the one who has called us. We join with that one who has called us. That's the second part of this step. And it's wonderful that God, when he calls Abram, says, I will make you a blessing so that you will be a blessing. Abram is being called not just simply to leave, but rather now to also cleave 
to God Himself who makes these promises and says, I will make you a blessing so that you will be a blessing. And that's what He does. He begins this process of clinging to God. To cling to God. And so when he does so, it isn't as though he is just dying to himself for the sake of dying to himself. He's dying to himself so that he can now become one with God whom he now will cling to. And let God define for him who he is. Let God define for him what he will be doing. Let God define for him what his life will be like. I love what Psalm 63 verse 8 says. It says this, My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Here's the thing. We are called to go and die to ourselves. Every single one of us who wants and chooses to take this journey to claim that promise of grace, every single one of us are called to leave and go and die to ourselves. But here is the other part of that. We are now called to go and cling to Jesus Christ. We are called to cling not only to Him, but to the life that He has and the life that He offers. That's what we are called to do. And that's what Abram does. In fact, it says this, beginning with verse 6 of Genesis 12, Abram then passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. Now the Canaanite was there in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. He went forth. He went forth, leaving behind everything he knew to go and journey into this land, clinging only to God. Remember, he knew, knew one. He, he know, knew no one in this area. There was no one he could call on. It was only him, Sarah, Lot, and God. That was it. That was it. Period. Think about that. But that's the journey he was called to do, and that's the journey I believe we're called to do if we want to embrace that promise of grace. Now, That's the first part of this journey. Here's the second part, and this gets really interesting. This gets really interesting. This marks the second part of this journey. We need to confess and progress. Part of this journey not only means to leave and cleave, but it also means that we need to confess and progress. Now, here's what I mean by this, besides it sounding really nice and rhyming, right? Uh, Verse 10 of chapter 12, it says this. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. It came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarah, his wife, Now see, I know that you are a beautiful woman. Duh. That's a very nice thing to say to your wife. You're beautiful. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me. But they will let you live. You're beautiful. I'm in the way of that. They'll get me out of the way so they can have you. Okay? Seems nice, right? Kind of complimentary. But then he goes on and says this. "Um, Please say, verse 13, 
that you are my sister, so that it may go well with me because of you, and that I may live on account of you. It's a lot of pressure to put on your wife. Honey, go along with me, because if you don't, I will die. Right? And lo and behold, here's what happened. It came about when Abram came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Therefore he treated Abram well for her sake and gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. He became wealthy. Unbelievable. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And then Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. Now, let me say a couple of things about this and why it relates to confess and progress. Okay? Almost, and we don't know the timeline here, as soon as it seems as though Abram makes that journey south, he sees the land, he knows that's inhabited by people he does not know, he knows that they're probably a powerful people, but to make things worse is now that there was a famine that struck the land, and instead of going back to where he came from, he, he had now heads further south. What shows in many ways, one of two things, probably and most likely, his commitment to go forth, to go and die, that even when a famine strikes, he is not going to return home. He will continue now to journey even further south. He is not going back. That's it. And that's what he does. But while there, some really interesting things happen that all of a sudden now, on the, at least on the part of Pharaoh, causes Pharaoh to realize two things. One is this. Abram is a blessed man. Abram is a blessed man because he is following God, who up until this point, maybe Pharaoh did not quite know or recognize. But however, when he takes Sarai as his own wife, now encounters this God, and instead of saying, no God, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to return Sarai to Abram, instead I'm going to keep her as my wife, what he does instead was say, I'm going to return her. This was wrong with what I've done. I should not have done this. I'm returning her back to him. All that to say this, and this is the part of the journey we need to really understand when we want to take this journey to embrace this promise of grace. It will never be easy. It will never be easy. Anyone who wants to follow Jesus Christ, ask anyone who has followed Jesus Christ for any length of time, and chances are, they will most likely tell you about their own journey. And chances are, it will be a journey that wasn't always easy. It was hard. It was difficult. For a variety of different reasons. One, maybe, it's just a broken world. Things happened, and you know what? It was just a terrible thing. COVID happened. Why did COVID happen? There's a lot of theories, right? There are some who are saying, well, it's God's plan to, you know, kind of you know, keep the population down. Really? I don't think so. There are others who say, well, it's God's judgment against the earth. Oh, really? I don't know. 
There's plenty of other things I think that we could probably say are God's judgment, right? But here's what we do know. It happened. It happened. We didn't plan on it. It wasn't something that we were ever thinking that would ever be a possibility. I mean, think about this. It has almost been a year, a year since this thing was introduced in the United States. It'll have almost been a year when we as a church shut down for a couple of months completely. It, you know, it has almost been a year since February of last year was a completely different reality we were living in, wasn't it? That we were all able to be here together. That chances are we had loved ones who were still alive, who had not yet died of this virus or had not suffered because of this virus. There are people that we had jobs and, and, and you know, people were, you know, kids were going to school in person and teachers were teaching in person and all of this stuff was happening. We didn't even have to wear masks. We didn't even think about masks at all. And now here we are today. It's a very different world. Things happen. Abram encounters a famine. Right? Wait, wait, God, you told me to follow you. I go with you, and now I come to this land hoping to kind of settle here, and I'll, I've got to deal with a famine? Really? I've got to deal with a famine? Now, who knows? He might have stayed there long enough that maybe he had to sacrifice some of his flock and whatever little he had, and maybe he, he lost some value, and now all of a sudden now he is now having to move forward into Egypt, and he gets replenished. God is blessing him even in the midst of all of this hardship. But nonetheless, it became hard. That's one way that the journey becomes hard. Things happen. Here's another way. We sin. Others sin. And either because of our sin or their sin or both, we now find ourselves in a situation where all of a sudden now we are in trouble. And those are the moments that we need to make a decision. Are we going to confess that sin and keep going or are we going to live in that sin and be defined by it? I love what Pharaoh does. Pharaoh confesses it and then he moves on. He makes it right and moves on. Each and every one of us who takes this journey will at one point sin. It's going to happen. Or someone else's sin is going to impact us. It's going to happen. But here's the thing. If we sin, here's the option. And this is the beautiful thing about this journey that God allows us. Is that we can go to Him, we can repent of that sin and keep going. Period. Keep moving. Keep journeying. Don't give up. How many, I wonder, how many people have started this journey... But when they sinned or when it got hard, etc., instead of confessing it and moving on, they sat in it and let it define them. Let me just say this. Playing in the mud of your sin will never make you clean. Ever. Playing in the mud of your sin is not going to make it better. Just isn't. It's just going to make you dirty. And dirtier. Not going to help. So here's the thing. Repent. Confess it. Acknowledge it. Be honest about it. Say to people, this journey is hard. And let me say this as a pastor that maybe hasn't always been said, either for myself or maybe from other pastors and other churches who call people to follow Jesus Christ. 
if you choose to do this journey, it will not always be easy. In fact, I guarantee you, it'll probably even be harder than the one you're on. Because they're going to have to die to yourself. And in doing so, when you mess up and when we sin, we're going to have to make a decision to confess and progress or rather simply do nothing and sit in that. I wonder how many Christians stopped. How many people stopped in that journey because they just simply let that one sin define them for the rest of their lives. Even in, though they repented of it, they could not get past it. And they just got off the journey. One church father said, be ashamed when you sin, but not when you repent. Be ashamed when you sin, but not when you repent. Let me just say this this morning, church. If you have sinned, and you have repented of that sin, I want to tell you, you're free. You're free. God, I believe, will never use that sin against you ever again, and neither should anyone else. You're free. You're free. Stop letting it define you. Confess and progress. Keep going. The words of the Apostle Paul I love this. Out of Philippians chapter 3, 12 through 14, it is such a familiar passage, but I think it's a powerful one. And he says this in an analogy, in an analogy of a race. And you know what I'm going to say here. Verses 12 through 14. Now that I, not that I have already attained it or have already become perfect, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold of by Jesus Christ. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting, again, leaving the past, dying to himself, leaving what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And that's a beautiful passage. Beautiful passage. That is our journey as it was Paul's journey, as it was Abram's journey. This morning, you might be here, and you might be a variety of different places for all of us here today. Maybe some of us haven't yet quite gone on this journey, and we have to make a decision about whether or not we will. Every single one of us is called, I believe, to make that journey, but not everyone will. To leave and cleave, and to confess and progress. Maybe some of us here are on that journey, and it's been hard. It's been really hard. Maybe the past few months, past few weeks, maybe even the past week, past 24 hours, have been really, really difficult. Maybe there is some sin that you have confessed, but yet you have still chosen to live in. You haven't moved on. Maybe today is the day that you can finally be free of that. Maybe there's some of you here today that are thinking, you know what, this journey is just too hard, I want to get off. You know what, if any of you are in any of those places today, I want to share, let us pray for you. Let us come alongside you. No one travels this journey alone and we're not made to. Abram wasn't completely alone. He had his wife, he had his nephew. We are not alone in this journey. 
We have each other in addition to having Jesus Christ. This journey is a hard journey. We need each other. And if you are anywhere on this journey today that you have found it difficult, that you can't get past your sin, that is just you're thinking about giving up, I want to ask, and I, I just want to beg you even, let us pray for you. Let us come alongside you. Let us do what we can to encourage you and help you to continue to journey on. And the way I'd like us to do that this morning is I want to invite the worship team up as they're going to sing a closing song this morning. And in addition to the worship team coming up, I want to invite up our prayer team, our elders, pastors. We're going to be up here. If you want any of us to pray for you, I don't care what it's about, come on up during this closing song. And we'd be happy to pray for you. We want to encourage you. We want to come alongside you. We want to journey with you because this is hard. This journey is hard. And you know what? At the end, it's going to be a great destination. We're going to come through this. As we will from this virus, we will from this sin. We will come through this. So, I'm going to ask the worship team to play, and we can sing this song. And if you want to come forward and have any one of us who are standing off to the sides here, uh, come on up, and uh, we'd be happy to pray for you, to bless you, to encourage you, and to come alongside you on this journey. But do this. Don't give up. Don't give up. Amen? Let's sing.